The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. We have, each one of us, an instinct to look out for ourselves. And probably there's no more obvious time than right now that that instinct really shows. Uh, we, we look out for ourselves, we try to protect ourselves, we wanna put our needs first above others, we wanna look or feel important, and sometimes um, because we think we're more important than others, we treat others like they're less important. Uh, and, and I think social media can lean into this, right? Because we're driven in a kind of a selfie culture to, um, you know, kind of like be self-focused and we're driven to get more likes, more comments, more shares. And, and so we can just kind of get consumed with like, hey, everybody, look at me. Look how uh, important I am. Or, and, and for that reason, we can become very self-absorbed. My needs, my wants, my interests. Um, and I think right now, all the empty shelves in so many stores kind of make this point, right? Uh, literally, just the other day, I was at the store, and I'm trying to be very respectful because she's probably joining us on our online campus, but this elderly lady, she cut me off. We were kind of going through uh, the store. She cut me off, and she raced me to the Lysol uh, wipes aisle. And then we got there, and there was none, so it really didn't matter, but, uh, but then she wouldn't look at me. And I tried to like go down to other aisles just so she had to look me in the eye, but because I thought it was kind of funny. But uh, we got there, we we're like, oh my goodness, there's, you know, there's nothing left. And so we, we did a quick poll before we started um, our service just now. And we asked you kind of like, what are the things that you have not been able to find over the last couple of days that you need? And so uh, the, the number one thing that you guys said, 52% of you said you could not find toilet paper or hand sanitizer. And I'm with you. We're in trouble. When a lady in front of me at the checkout, she was like commenting about it. And she's like, we don't need toilet paper. I mean, give me a break. Just use a, I don't know, use a phone book. And I was like, does anybody even have phone books anymore? Besides, like, and I was like, I really appreciate toilet paper. Anyway, okay. And then the second thing, uh, 48% of you said that you could not find milk or bacon. And I have to admit, I am the bacon hoarder. Soon as this thing, soon as news broke, I literally went right to the store and I took bacon as much as I could. And then I ran out. And, uh, and then somebody else brought me a supply of bacon. And so I am willing, I will trade you a roll of toilet paper if you give me a pound of bacon. I love bacon. And so if we're going down, I'm gonna have a supply of bacon. I have enough for years. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of being goofy and I probably shouldn't be. I am very respectful and my heart really does go out to so many during this season. But I, I did want to let you know that you and I are a little bit like chickens. I'm not calling you a chicken. Don't, mis don't misunderstand. But here's the deal, right? Chickens are a little bit like people. Chickens have a, uh, a caste system. Here, here's how it works. The uh, most dominant chicken, the alpha chicken, pecks on all the other chickens' heads. And then the, the, uh, the next chicken, the, the second most dominant chicken, you can go like the beta chicken, uh, the only chicken it doesn't peck on is the alpha chicken. It pecks on everybody else's head. And so on and so forth until you get through the entire flock of chickens until you get to the last chicken, 
This is the weakest one. This is the omega chicken. Uh, Everybody pecks on its head, but it doesn't have anybody else's head to peck on. And and so you could pick out the omega chicken pretty obviously uh, because it it has no feathers on the top of its head. It's kind of, it's, it's bald and it's bloodied. And, it, and it's always looking over its shoulder. It's literally like, it, it kind of, I don't want to imitate a chicken. But all I'm telling you is this. It's always kind of looking around like skittish and scared because everyone is pecking at it. It's called the pecking order. And we have a little bit of a pecking order. There's a pecking order at the grocery store. There's certain people that are clearly more important, at least in their own eyes, and they don't mind pecking on or picking at others. And uh, we kind of go through the process of who we think is more or less important. And uh, we do this to each other. And I don't know that it's always driven by pride, meaning people think they're more important than others. I think most of the time it's driven by fear. Here's what I mean. We're afraid that others are going to peck on us. They're going to pick on us. That someone's going to take something from us. They're going to get it before we get it. And so we've created a pecking order trying to get ourselves to the top because we want to protect ourselves because we don't think anyone else is going to look out for us. And so I've got to look out for me and I've got to fight for those that I need to protect. So we have a pecking order where people are looking out for themselves and hurting others. And this pecking order sense of importance has bloodied some relationships. It's left some broken reputations and some ruined homes, some pretty hurting people as a result of a social pecking order where people are trying to get to the top and they're willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means hurting someone else in the process because it's better to hurt someone else than to get hurt. And for what it's worth, this struggle has been going on for a long time. In fact, this series, uh, Beautiful Pain, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the last few days of Jesus before he died. And that's why we're calling it Beautiful Pain, because it seems like such a painful journey, and yet there's beauty in it. Beautiful Pain, the last few days of Jesus. And these last few days are captured by a few eyewitnesses, Uh, guys named Uh, Matthew and Mark and John. They were friends and followers of Jesus, and they later in life recorded uh, this moment. They they captured the life of Jesus, and they recorded in what became known as the Gospels. One of them, uh, another guy named Luke, he uh, he was not an eyewitness to this moment, but he Later, he saw the church, and he, he met people who were Christians, and he was so impressed by them, so amazed by them, that he, um, he wanted to be part of what they were doing. He wanted to, uh, he, he actually was amazed by the message of Jesus, so he began to investigate the story and teachings of Jesus from eyewitnesses, and he became convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And so uh, Luke is the the fourth one to write an account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And they record, each of them records these last few days. And they they capture this moment where Jesus and his friends, these 12 followers, these disciples, uh, they're on a a walk, they're, they're on a journey, and they're on their way to celebrating a Jewish festival called Passover. And on their way, Uh, Jesus' friends get into an argument. In fact, I want to just bring it to you. We're going to pull it up on the screen here. It it literally says this, Luke chapter 22, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be 
the greatest. <laughs> Could you imagine? 12 guys who are with Jesus, who we believe to be, and they believed was God. Okay, this is the son of God, and they're with Jesus, and they're arguing about which of them is the greatest. Now, my guess is it probably went something like this. All right, so we know Jesus is the greatest, but who's second? Who's kind of the beta chicken? And they're arguing about this, and you kind of just shake your head, and you're like, what are these guys thinking? What, what's going on here? And Jesus does something that you just don't expect. They, um, they're arguing, they're having this conversation. Now, I gotta put it in context. I want, to, I want you to kind of know what's going on here. So they're walking down a dirt road, right? They didn't have pavement back then. And uh, you know, they're wearing sandals. And this is the same dirt road that horses and uh, cows would walk, uh, chickens. <laughs> And uh, they're, they're walking. And so, like, imagine you have a couple dogs in your backyard, and that's where they live. And then your kids go out and play without shoes on. And then the kids want to run through your house, right? Like, you're all a little grossed out right now. So you got to think like this, right? So here's Jesus' followers. They're all wearing sandals, and they arrive at the, at the home that they're borrowing where they're going to celebrate the Passover meal. And when they get there... Here's what would customarily happen. Normally, when you came to somebody's home, there would be a basin of water and a towel. And the Omega servant, the lowest person in the, in the you know, in, in the, uh, I don't know, the totem pole, the person with the, with the, the rookie, the, newest, the newbie, right? Their job was to sit on a stool and wash everyone's feet as they came in. But there was no servant. So, as the followers of Jesus came in the door. Remember, they've been arguing about who's the greatest. And so they come in the door and none of them would stop to wash anybody's feet. They wouldn't, nobody would wash anybody else's feet. And so all of them come in. Jesus comes in last. He surveys the situation. And I want to bring you to the gospel according to John chapter 13. Jesus and it's really cool the way John captures this because he really gives you like this, this uh, important disclaimer. He goes, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, so he, he has all control, all power, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper, so they're sitting down, they're having a meal, Jesus gets up, he laid aside his garment, so he takes off his outer clothing, puts it down. He picked up the towel and he girded himself. You can see like he kind of like, he put the towel around him so he could wash them, right? And then it says this. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he had girded himself. God is in the room. And everybody in the room knows that he's the alpha and the omega. All right, my, my little sense of humor here. He, he's clearly at the top, right? He's the top of the totem pole. He's at the top of the pecking order. But Jesus doesn't use the moment to peck anyone's head. Jesus lays aside his garments. He picks up a towel. He kneels down, takes the water, and begins to wash each of their feet. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus takes this idea of looking out for ourselves and he flips it upside down. He takes the idea of what it means to be important and he turns it upside down. He takes the idea of greatness 
and he flips it. In fact, that's the main idea. Look, especially during this season, there is no better time than this moment in history for us to remember this amazing God-sent principle from the example and the way of Jesus. And it's this, in God's kingdom, greatness is upside down. What it looks like to be great, what it means to be important, what it means to lead, what it means to have power is turned completely upside down. Here's the deal. Why are we trapped in the pecking order? I know you don't like it. In fact, many of you wish you could get out of it, right? Like at work, you don't want to be part of the pecking order. You wish you could just somehow get out of the pecking order. You don't like the pecking order in your home. You don't like the pecking order when you get together with, you know, for Thanksgiving or for a holiday. Um, you don't like the pecking order in our nation. You don't like the pecking order that you see on social media, and yet we all do it. Why do we all do it? It's not just our instinct. There's something deeper at work. That's right. There's a spiritual instinct in every one of us to fight for our place, to fight for our sense of greatness and importance. There's a spiritual instinct in us to look out for ourselves. That spiritual instinct is called sin. And sin is what makes it impossible to get out of the pecking order because even if we don't like it, we'll fight for it because we know someone else is out to get us. Someone else is going to peck us, and so we've got to climb our way up in order to protect ourselves and protect those that we love. So I want to bring you back to the story. This problem with sin, here's what it does. It doesn't just hurt us, someone else pecking on us, and it doesn't just hurt others, us pecking on others. Sin, this spiritual instinct, wrecks us, right? It hurts our homes, hurts our families. But more than that, because it's a spiritual problem, sin separates us from relationship with God. And sin lives in every one of us. And because it separates us from relationship with God, sin doesn't just ruin us in this moment. And it doesn't just ruin us for the rest of our life on earth. It actually sets us up for a forever without God in eternal judgment. Now that's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came to flip this thing upside down. Or I might even say right side up. While we're trapped in the pecking order, Jesus stepped in and he came. And he didn't just come to wash his disciples' feet. He came to do something even more remarkable. Now I told you that they were on their way to celebrate a feast, a, um, a holiday in the Jewish culture. It was called the Passover. And here's the, here's the backdrop to the Passover. It goes back thousands of years to the time when the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And God wanted to rescue them out of that slavery. And so God sent plagues on Egypt in order to basically break the power of Pharaoh so that he would release them so they could leave. The final plague was called, was, was a plague where the angel of death was going to come and they're going to put Egyptians to death. And so God said, I'm going to protect the Jewish people, but here's what you have to do. You have to sacrifice, you have to kill a lamb, take the blood, and put it over the doorpost of your home, the outside, you know, kind of around the door. And then you're going to eat the, the lamb and you're going to have a meal together. And you're going to eat that meal with uh, bread that has no yeast in it, meaning it's not going to rise. And, and of course, they would have wine at their meal. And so here's what, and in that moment, the angel of death came and 
many in Egypt died. But the Jewish people who killed the lamb and put the door over the doorpost, the angel would pass over their home. And so, and as a result, Pharaoh released the people from slavery and the entire nation was freed. And so every year after that Passover, for now for thousands of years, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, would celebrate the Passover by eating a lamb, they would have wine, they would have this bread without yeast, and they were supposed to eat it kind of in a hurry. So they gather to eat this meal, and while they're eating, Luke, he does, he, you know, he, he does some investigation. He says, this is what happened. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then he continues, and he says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, take. So he begins to pass around the cup. Take this, is, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he also, he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here's the moment. Imagine this idea of the pecking order. Everybody's looking out for themselves. These guys arguing about who's the greatest, who should eat first, who should get the biggest portion. And Jesus pauses and he goes, hey guys, we're not gonna have another meal together. This moment is often referred to as the last supper or the Lord's supper. And uh, what Jesus does is he pauses. He goes, time out guys. You're all trapped. I've come to set you free from the trap. So here's how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna die for you. I'm gonna give my life to rescue you from this pecking order. So how does he do it? He, um, he doesn't just give them this moment called the Last Supper or communion where he says, this is my body broken for you. This is the cup which represents or is my blood spilled for you. He actually dies. What does he do? His mission in this moment was to go to the cross. He's telling them, I'm about to die. Why would Jesus die? Here's what he did. Imagine this. He goes like this. He goes, for every single one of you who are going to peck someone else, I want you to peck me. I'm willing to become the omega, the last, the least, the servant of all. And instead of you pecking anyone else, I want you to take all of your pain, all of your frustration, all of your hurt, all of your hate, and I want you to put it all on me. All the guilt, all the shame, all the suffering, all of the sin, all of the judgment that we deserve. And Jesus says, I can take it. And he makes himself the least and he hangs on the cross. And as he's dying, even God the Father pours out on Jesus the judgment we deserved. In essence, all of the pecking and all of the suffering and all of the bleeding and all of the pain poured out completely on Jesus so that he absorbs our eternal death sentence, our judgment, our sin on himself. And what the Omega is trying to do is stay alive. Jesus willingly dies to absorb our death sentence. But the beauty of the moment, the beautiful pain, is that in his death, he died in our place so that you and I would be freed from the pecking order. He 
turns the whole thing upside down, but he doesn't stay dead. The miracle of the moment is that Jesus rises from the dead and in his resurrection, he frees us. It's as if when you believe in Jesus, you're pulled out of the pecking order. You're set free, you're delivered, you're rescued because you're forgiven of sin and you're given new life through faith in Jesus Christ because he died, because he rose from the dead. God, when you believe in that, God's spirit comes into your spirit and you become truly alive. Now you're not fighting to survive. Now you're not just trying to keep from getting sick. Of course, we should be smart and wise and not help get other people sick, right? Like we, we need to be socially distanced right now. I get that, that's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is now when you believe in Jesus, you have true life and forever life. You have a new kind of life inside of you, the kind of life that sickness can't destroy, that death can't kill. When God is in you, this is why Christians should be the most fearless people. Because we know that life, that life doesn't end in death. Death ends in forever life. Our hope is that Jesus died for us. He rose from the, the dead. And that even if and when we die, we will rise with him in the end. We're not worried about surviving. We're not just trying to fight for our place in the pecking order. We know that God loves us. God is for us. And that changes everything. It flips the whole story upside down. Here, here's what I mean. It's, you can call it the upside down good news, that greatness is upside down, that what it means to be greatest, you, you become the least. You want to you wanna keep your life, be willing to lose your life. You want to have much, give what you have away. You want to be the master, become a servant. You want to climb the ladder, be willing to let the ladder land on your shoulders, meaning let others build their life on you. That's what greatness looks like. That's what leadership looks like. That's what power looks like. That's what strength looks like. Now, Jesus washes their feet. He gives them this, this moment where he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. And then he challenges them with this teaching. John chapter 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, I am your teacher, I am the Lord. I, I am God in human form, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What is the example of what Jesus did? Let's think about this upside down gospel. What does that mean? Well, I'm gonna give you two complimentary ideas. The first one is this, being great means serving others. Being great means serving others. What did, what did Jesus do? He walked in the room. He saw that all of them were posturing. All of them were looking out for themselves. All of them were trying to decide how great they were compared to others. And as a result, the, the job of serving went undone. Meaning, think about it, right? No one was willing to serve others because they all thought they were better than someone else. And in our culture today, everyone thinks, they might not think they're at the top, but they're definitely not at the bottom. But if you think about greatness, being in the role of a servant, then you're quick to serve. Jesus said this, I have come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So if Jesus sets the example of what greatness looks like and he's willing to serve them, he's willing to become the least, 
because that's what it means. That's the job that had to get done. Then when we look at the example of Jesus, then what should we be doing? Well, we, we're able to pull ourselves out of the pecking order and say, I can serve others. How did Jesus serve others? Jesus was willing to get messy, right? He, if you think about what was on these guys' feet, he was willing to touch the yuck on them. Now, I'm not saying that you take this example and you go around touching sickness. Um, some of you have to. That's part of your job. What I am saying is this. Jesus was not afraid of their messiness. He was willing to touch the yuck on them. He was willing to get close to the messiness around him. He was willing to wash their feet. He was willing to cleanse them. Here's, here's what Jesus does. Jesus served us in our pain. Are you willing to bring your pain to Jesus? He's willing to get close enough to you. Are you struggling right now? Jesus was willing to get close to your struggle. Are you afraid? Are you carrying guilt and shame? I promise you, Jesus is not afraid to get close to your suffering, to your regrets, to your shame, to your guilt. He was willing to serve by getting close to that messiness. He serves you by washing you, by forgiving you, by cleansing you, and whatever yuck you feel like you're carrying. Jesus is not embarrassed by it. He's willing to get down to wash you and cleanse you and make you whole. Now, I want to challenge you. If that, it, Jesus was our, he not only served, but he is our savior. He did something the rest of us could never do. But we also follow his example. And so how are, how are you and I called to serve others? I want to challenge you, serve first. When you come in the room, don't expect to be served. Serve first. While everyone else is posturing, everyone else is thinking that they're at least more important than someone, you say, my role is to be great by serving most, by serving first. Look for the basin. Where is there a basin in your life? Where is there a towel sitting unused? I want you to find the basin and the towel that's sitting unused. I want you to pick it up. I want you to begin to serve others. Serve first. Don't wait for someone to serve you. I don't want you to walk into a restaurant and think that the person who's being served must be really important. I want you to look at how the waiter or the waitress, the clerk or the flight attendant, if anybody's flying, uh, how they're serving. And here's what I want you to think. Wow, look how well they serve. They're great. That is important. Right? It flips our thinking upside down. And I want to challenge you. You have a role. You have a gift. There's ways that God has uniquely designed you and gifted you. There's, you some of you have a, a great compassion, a, a great gift of mercy. I want you to use whatever gifts God has given you. There's no better time than right now for us to serve others first. In fact, here's what I'd like for you to do right now. Maybe in the comments section, I, I think it'd be really cool if maybe you just thought for a moment, how could I serve others during this crisis. Maybe just think of one word or one way you could serve others, and I want you to post it. You'll probably start giving other people a good idea. Maybe one of the best ways you can serve others is just washing your hands. Maybe it's not buying an extra box of toilet paper. I don't know. Maybe it's leaving a little bit for someone else. I'm not telling you to write that. I'm just saying maybe you can write a suggestion on how you could serve others first. Now, let's not stop there. John chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus says this, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What was Jesus' motivation? 
Was it just because he he didn't think much of himself? No, it says that he knew he was God. He was going home back to where God lives, back to heaven. And he loved his own, even to the very end. And then as you go deeper in to John chapter 13, it reads this way. A new command I give you, love one another. What a command. Think about it. Some of you think that the Bible is just full of rules. And there are some rules in it. Some of you think the Bible's full of commandments. There are 10 commandments that are really important. Jesus goes, you know what's more important than all those commandments? One, love one another. Why? Because that one commandment captures the whole heart of God and how we should interact with other people. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the point? Being great means loving one another. Love, it is much simpler, but much harder. Let me say that again. Love is much clearer. It's simpler to understand, but it's much harder to live, right? Because you can just follow the rules, but you miss the heart. And the heart is, are we loving each other? And, And so let me say this. Love has no loopholes, right? You can, you can try to follow the law and everybody's looking for a loophole, a way around it. Love has no loopholes, right? Loopholes, why? Because love is about heart attitude. Love one another. Not just do the right thing, but do it with the right attitude. Not just serving, but grumbling while you serve, but serving by truly believing that they are important. It means preferring others above yourself. I wanna challenge you during this season to love loudly. As a church, we believe that we don't go to church, we are the church. That's why doing an online experience is so powerful. We also believe that our mission is to share the love of God. That's what we're doing right now and to show the love of God. We wanna show compassion. We believe that our love is loud. In fact, the loudest thing we'll ever do is not the words we speak, but the life we live. Can I challenge you? You know what it means to be great? You know what it means to be important? You love others well. Love them first. Love loudly, with compassion, through forgiveness, in gentleness, preferring others above yourself, putting their needs above your needs. Look, as a community, we get the privilege of, you know, within Lifehouse, I realize that some of you may be joining us from other countries. Uh, we know that we have people each weekend that join us from other countries. Um, you may be joining us from another part across the U.S. Uh, we get the privilege of pastoring right here in Washington County, uh, Maryland, and Franklin County, Pennsylvania. Could you imagine what would happen if we learned to love loudly? We looked out for others. We smiled. We just cared about them. We prayed for them. We looked out for our neighbors. You might see that this crisis created an opportunity for the greatest movement of love you might have ever seen in your lifetime. Yes, this crisis is something unique, something most of us have never seen before in our lifetime. But it also creates the window of opportunity for us to experience love in a way we have never experienced it before in our lifetime. You have an opportunity. I mean like a tag, you're it. I'm gonna do the air tag. Tag, you're it. Go love someone. Now, it's gonna be impossible for you to do if you're not filled with love. Because remember, it's only in God's kingdom that greatness is flipped upside down. Where if if you wanna be great, you become the least. 
If you want to be served, you serve others. If you want to have much, you give what you have away. So here's the deal. You can't go loving others loudly and serving others well unless the love fills you up. And so can I challenge you for a moment? Look, we're speaking into your homes. You've invited, you've allowed us to come into your home. You've invited us into your homes, into your families, into your neighborhood right now. And what I'd love more than anything is for you to invite Jesus into your life right now. And so here's how I want you to respond. It's, it's a simple moment where you choose to believe in Jesus Christ. You believe that he came, that God put on human skin, that he walked among us, and then he died. Not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve to die. He put himself at the bottom of the pecking order, and then he said, give it all to me. I'll take all the hurt, I'll take all the blame, I'll take all the shame, I'll take all the judgment of sin on myself, and he died in our place. Why? So that you and I could be freed. Freed from guilt, freed from sin, freed from judgment. And when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're not only forgiven, but you're given new life through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's what I wanna do. Some of you, you're making that decision right now. So I'm gonna take a moment, I'm gonna pray with you. But when I pray with you and you make that decision, wherever you are, would you let us know? You can let us know in the comment section. You might, you might give us like a, a raised hand emoji, or you can send us a quick message. I made a decision to believe in Jesus. Uh, what we would love for you to simply say is, I was raised to life today, right now. Let us know that you made this decision. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna just pray for you right now. Jesus, thank you. What a tremendous gift you've given us. You came, you died, you took all of the pecks on yourself. But it was a beautiful pain because every hurt you absorbed shielded us from future hurt. Every blow you absorbed was, was a blow that we deserved. And the death you died was the death we deserved. It was the judgment we deserved. And so right now, God, all across our online campus, there are so many people that are saying yes to you by faith. They're believing in you as their Lord and Savior. And God, we're celebrating with them. We're clapping together, our hearts wide open, saying thank you that you rescue us from our own sin, our own shame, our own guilt. Thank you for the new life that we receive through faith in you. We receive that right now. We're saying yes to you by faith. And now, God, we simply ask that you would help us to flip it upside down, that we would recognize that greatness means being willing to be the least, that instead of being served, we're willing to serve, and it means that we're willing to love others loudly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from LifeHouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.